everybody. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Uh, we're a day out from the NBA trade deadline. Fewer than 24 hours away, in fact. Three-hour show tomorrow. And luckily, what's happening now on the internets, I, I mean, maybe it continues for hours and hours and hours and does impact tomorrow. But if this was happening, what's happening now, tomorrow, that'd be interesting because Twitter is apparently down. I tried to tweet. I said, I, I concocted a tweet that said, can I tweet? I hit tweet, and I got a response that said, you are over the daily limit for sending tweets, Blake. That that seems, like, bad because I haven't tweeted today, I don't think. Everyone is experiencing some version of that. Tweet deck's also down. Um, it's amusing timing and makes me think Woj has more power than we even thought because there was a... Uh, the hottest rumor of the day is a potential Lakers three-team deal that would yeah. land D'Angelo Russell and other pieces there uh, involving the Timberwolves and, and Russell Westbrook would head to the Utah Jazz almost surely for uh, headed for a buyout and then he'd join a contender after. But Woj was, for as much as you care about this stuff, the first to mention that framework, but he mentioned it on TV <laughs> and Shams had the tweet first and I jokingly tweeted like, how do the judges score this yeah. one? Because like, <laughs> is it real until it hits Twitter? And now, now, I mean, Woj is the captain from here. Like uh -huh. if Twitter is down and I'm, I'll say it, Woj did this. Yeah. Woj has dirt on Elon <laughs> from his sources and uh Yeah. Elon clearly not a hooper, letting his app malfunction like this uh, on deadline twenty deadline. We'll call it deadline day. It's twenty four hours now. That's true. Um, who I don't need to worry about the regular clock. It's within twenty four hours. We're, sure, we're there. Uh, yeah, it's silly, and it'll make tomorrow very silly. It'll be just wild, interesting to see how people would handle that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there was the moment there a month, month and a half, two months ago when everybody started going onto the new platforms thinking that today was going to be the day. You know, every day was the day for about a week that Twitter was on its he, last legs. You see how slow Twitter's loading? And here's the thing. You needed Twitter to tell people to go to those things. So <laughs> yeah. I think what could happen tomorrow is on a day where the Raptor show with William Liu is two hours long, our show's three hours long for the deadline, you got to tune in yep. because no, we will obviously have, you know, our producer, Mike Gentili behind the glass there, Alex and Will will, will have their producer, JR, um, scrounging and like, I don't know, reading newspaper copy and whatever, whatever people did in the olden times. Yeah. To get this ticker, stuff. the ticker will be running like, yeah. yeah, yeah. The stock ticker with the paper and we'll be reading that off. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be exciting. It's quite the move for Woj to end Twitter <laughs> as the next step in his battle with Shams. That is, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, this is like, like, I don't know when I'm not a Star Wars guy, but like Luke goes to fight Darth Vader finally. And then Darth Vader's like, you know what? Gravity doesn't exist anymore. You're not used to fighting with no gravity. Me, me, like, it did that just, happen? No, I don't know. Oh. Probably not. I'm just, I'm saying there's the, Why did you use an example that you're not well-versed in? Because I use wrestling examples too much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but yeah. I, you had me thinking because I don't know Star Wars, like the, the, the entire canon, but I, I, that part, I don't recall a floating Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker battling uh, in midair. Uh, hopefully Woj can get Twitter back online in the next couple hours. But as of right now, if the Raptors trade away Fred Van Vliet, I suppose we'll be able to communicate it to you because it'll happen. Uh, we'll get an email. Um, but right now, Twitter not loading. Today's top story, though, is a baseball one. 
that shortly after we signed off yesterday and there was a little bit of hand-wringing about Bo Bichette's potential arbitration hearing, which is was scheduled for tomorrow, no more. Signs a three-year deal. Now, we don't have the total amount that he signed for, but I think we can estimate it's around $30 million bucks avoiding arbitration. One source to Ben Nicholson-Smith suggesting $33.5 million over those three years, which were the years that he was under team control. So, you know, if, if he didn't sign this, he would have to go into every season with the same thing. Hey, can we figure out a number uh, between you and I, Bo Bichette and the Toronto Blue Jays for one year? If we can't, we'll go to arbitration for the next three years. Instead, there's some level of cost certainty. Again, we don't know what the certainty is, but considering the narrative between the player and the organization, this can't be anything but positive news for the relationship, Blake. I think so. The fact that they can come to agreement on what his near-term future looks like, what his value looks like, uh, the fact that Clearly, Bo went to them and was like, look, Thursday's the trade deadline. I want to be watching the Raptors show with William Liu and then fan drive time. I, I don't I want my rumors. I don't want to be in an arbitration case. Let's get this done. That's got to be worth like six figures somewhere on the deal. Um, look, as far back as last season when Bo Bichette rejected the pittance of a, of a raise, the, the Jays offered per their pre-arb formula, you know, we had us and, and then heading into arbitration with tied for the largest gap in what the player offered and what the team offered, those things signaled that the two sides here had a, a fairly fundamental difference of opinion in what Bo Bichette's value was. Maybe in prepping the ARB case, both sides realized they were closer to the middle than they thought. Like five and seven and a half million doesn't sound like a lot in baseball contract terms, but it's a lot in percentage terms. And if, you know, if you started doing the arbitration prep and we're like, ah, you know what, six and a half looks pretty reasonable here. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you kind of, both sides kind of, you know, move their valuation goalposts on what this year is. Because once you have the first year of ARB, it's a little easier to project out what year two and year three could look like if you believe in, you know, a stable uh, progression for for the player, which in Bo Bichette's case, he's been almost the exact same player by the end of each of his first four seasons, statistically. Um, so you'd be pretty confident with that. So I just think getting to that first year valuation of like, okay, what is, this is the band of potential Bo values, five to seven and a half. Year two, the potential mm. band of Bo values is let's say 10 to 15. And then year three is 15 to 20. Sure. And sure, sure. Bo gives up a little bit of the upside there to get the certainty. The Jays give up, you know, this is, we'll see what the terms are. I'd imagine it comes in around like 33, 34, something well, this like is that. It. But the team does make some concessions here in not getting to buy out any of his free agent years. Uh -huh. And when you're looking at a team that is, at this point projected to go well over the competitive balance tax. This will now be a three-year deal and treated as annual average value. So Bo might only make 6 million this year. They're paying more in the CBT this season. No, exactly. because like at most he was going to be worth seven and a half million bucks. And if we're talking about a yes. 30 plus million, that's 10 million. That's yes. a, That's like, like a, you know, two and a half, $3 million bump in how much, their payroll counts towards the competitive balance tax. So, yeah, there is give and take on both sides. But I would say that the give from the Blue Jays is more significant, it's reading it from where I am, than the give from the player. Because, yeah, the Blue Jays, it's written right in the CBA. Every single year they can do this. They can sit down and play hardball with Bo Bichette and say, we're going we're gonna to battle you over every single penny. And if everybody's pro, uh, then... 
then nobody's feelings get hurt and the Blue Jays can maximize their savings against the competitive balance tax each of the next three years. They decided not to do that. And I would say, primarily, Blake, I'm reading into this that this is, we're reaching out. We don't want any hard feelings. We know you you come from a baseball lineage, so you understand the professional nature of going to arbitration, but this is ugly. We want to... We want to at least show you that we're we're able to meet you in the middle somewhere and that we can have some positive feelings going and forward. And then, like, down the road, maybe we're talking about buying out free agent years and a super long-term extension after this. And, yeah, the big thing there, we don't want to enter what's maybe, I mean, at least since 2015, the most important season in in recent franchise history and starting that off with the bad vibes of, you know, not a contract dispute because this is how the system works, mm-hmm. um, but you know, one of your most important players coming into camp uh, with a bad taste in his mouth, whether that's because the, through the arbitration process, the team has to be like, we don't value that you that much. Like you're, you're not him uh, to use <laughs> the, the term that's hot right now. That's exactly how those arbitration hearings go. Yes, They're like, well, uh, what percentage of him is he? Yeah. Well, we think he's we think he's him to this degree, and he's like, no, no, I'm I'm him, all caps, <laughs> he's screaming. And then him. the yeah, the arbiter is uh, is left there to to figure it out. Yeah, all right. So he, but, I, yeah, I think to your point, what you're getting at here is that this is a positive. It shows that yeah. there is a, a an alignment in their values. Uh, or valuation of him that there was an a, an eagerness and a willingness to even once they went. File and trial, mm-hmm. which, you know, locks you in. You can only do a multi-year deal at that point. Um, even once you got to that stage, which is sometimes a contentious step in the process, that these sides were able to, to sit down and hammer it out. And no, it's not the 10-year, $300 million extension that, you know, people have wondered if that's coming at some point for him and Vlad. But I think it's a it's a positive for the now. It gives you three years of... Like, you don't have to do this again until 2025. And, like, I think we'd head into that year talking extension, like, similar to how Raphael Devers got his ARB numbered, like, avoided ARB in his final year. But heading into that year, everyone was still like, yo, are you going to get this done? No kidding. Um, So that, it at least punts it two years down the line. It also, I mean, there's a Vlad component here, too, where... That's where I was going to go. Because Vlad also has two more years of arbitration left as well. So, Vlad isn't going to arbitration this year, not because his con- his uh, $17.5 million was locked in stone, because he and the organization came to an agreement on that number. They looked at the comparables, and they said, hey, what are you likely to get in arbitration? Ah, middle ground, let's figure this out. Which is, yeah, it's $10 million more than, than uh, Bo Bichette would have gotten if he won his arbitration case. Now, he notably has to go to arbitration next year or the year after if he and the Toronto Blue Jays can't come to an agreement. And now we have this precedent of the guy he's going to be forever compared to because of their arrival at the exact same time, because of the timeline of of their free agency being identical. I mean, this was my thought process in wondering who would get extended or how extensions would work between these two guys going into their free agent years is like, how do you do one, but not the other? This is a different deal because blue Jays do still have him under control for two more years beyond this one. But yeah, they, 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 the guy that he came up to the majors with who have very comparable values to, I mean, the outlier offensive season that Vlad had two years ago, notwithstanding, these two guys you can compare, even with Bo Bichette's defensive flaws, you can compare what they brought to the table in an overall sense since they stepped onto Major League Baseball fields, and they are not worlds apart. 
But the Blue Jays have said, we don't want to do this process. We want to reach across the aisle to Bo Bichette for the next two years beyond this. And they've done it for one year with Vlad. And you wonder what the next step is when, when it comes to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Is there now, I mean, they're well within their rights to, to settle on a, a two-year extension for Vlad now that they don't have to do this. But it is interesting that they did the both thing first. I mean, the, they were up against it because the arbitration hearing was on Thursday. But you wonder what the, the next domino is to fall when it comes to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You do. You you have no choice but to. And it's going to be um, interesting to see now, especially um, how, you know, when we get the numbers on Bo, if that has any impact whatsoever on Vlad, which it probably doesn't because Vlad was a super two and they are obviously different players at different positions and things like that. Um, I, I think this is actually uh, a better order to do it in if you were thinking strictly from the team side because what you are looking at here is um, Bo's number is going to be smaller. Yeah. Like, there's no way around that because Vlad is, again, even He's though they're making 14 and a half. I said 79. It's 14 and a half million. It's 14 and a half, and he made 7.9 last year. So He's a year ahead of the game. He is, exactly. And Vlad also got, not that you would bring this up in negotiations, but if you're comparing Vlad and Bo strictly on, like, let's say the organization values these guys in the exact amount. They are the same amount of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got $2.8 million more as a signing bonus than Bo got through the draft. And then Vlad started making his money a year earlier because he was a Super 2. So last year, he made more than $7 million more than Bo Bichette. His 14.5 this year will be, you know, roughly equivalent to what Bo is getting in ARB 3. Yeah. Now, in 2025, when I, I'd assume they'll, they'll lay it out that way, he'll probably get about that in the third year of his deal. So Vlad's got these two years left where you can look, and he's already made $27 million, whereas Bo is only going to cross that in, like, the third year of his three-year deal. Now, I'm not saying that the Jays look at what Bo makes because of the system and, and say to Vlad, well, look, look, we're paying you more than Bo. You have to take this deal. But what I do think is that had it gone in the other order, mm -hmm. maybe like if Vlad gets the big, big deal through his Arb years, maybe that makes it harder to get this three-year done with with Bo at a, at a reasonable price tag because you have then kind of planted your flag with Vlad. Now, all of this goes back to Vlad being super two and Bo not being super two, where if they were on the exact same timeline like that, this all gets a little simpler of an apples to apples comparison. Um, but yeah, I think it's easier to do Bo first. Uh, I agree. And they did. And we'll see if there's more to come before uh, opening day. Or I mean, there's nothing stopping this team and the players from negotiating throughout the course of the uh, regular season. But yeah, pitchers and catchers next week. That was today's top story. We continue to follow. Naturally, as we're less than 24 hours away from the NBA trade deadline, the news surrounding the Raptors and the trade deadline, and there's plenty. Um, so Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports with a couple of different nuggets. The one I maybe want to start with with you, Blake, is how the Kevin Durant offseason impacts the potential suitors for the Raptors' bigger pieces, and I, I guess most notably OG Ananobi. So um, this is what Jake Fisher of Yahoo wrote today. Officials from multiple teams also told Yahoo Sports that they expect that the number of front offices quietly preparing for Kevin Durant to become available via trade this offseason will likely dampen the Raptors' bidding war for Ananobi's services. 
at least to some degree. Why would Phoenix, for example, mortgage multiple first-round picks for Toronto Swingman and eliminate itself from any potential Durant sweepstakes come July? That makes plenty of sense, and, and we heard the rumors about Durant being open to the possibility of going to Phoenix in the offseason. I mean, there's some franchises that that aren't having this conversation because while Kevin Durant is under contract, you're not trading for Kevin Durant unless he wants to play for your franchise. But we already have some pretty credible reporting that Kevin Durant is open to playing with the Phoenix Suns. That's only one franchise, but if that dampens the market for a guy that you're under no duress to trade, yeah, it seems like that would impact the likelihood of OG Ananobi being traded before 3 o'clock tomorrow. We're operating under the assumption that the Raptors would have to be blown away to trade OG Ananobi, who, again, has at least one more year left on his contract and then an option and bird rights and all that stuff. Um, you're not in an, um, there's no immediacy to trading OG Ananobi if you're this franchise. So you do need the the package that makes you look and say, well, we can't say no because what if, or, or, you know, if you have to look at it in the off season or you have to look at it next deadline and things aren't working out, you won't get this package again. I don't think Phoenix had that package um, anyway, because I'm not a big DeAndre Ayton guy on the contract that he's on and that's the only player like assuming they're not moving bridges because he's just OG. Um, <laughs> like I, I don't know what they were offering unless they were literally going to put three firsts on the table, um, which, you know, some people it's kind of been a reporting battle of, Hey, three firsts are available. Uh, most teams are saying two firsts. I do think it affects Phoenix, Phoenix's place in the market in general. Um, I think Phoenix was maybe a likelier spot for Gary Trent Jr. or Fred Van Vliet, again, because Mikhail Bridges is uh, not that you can ever have too many floor spacing defenders, but they have OG Ananobi at home. Like, they literally right. do. Um, <laughs> the other, the team, though, that I, I didn't, I don't think Jake mentioned, and the team that came to mind when I saw him post that uh, is the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. So, Portland obviously operating under a we got to win now. Dame's at you know maybe the toward the end of his prime. Dame is a superstar that a lot of other players in the past have expressed interest in playing with. We know that Kevin Durant is not hesitant to team up with another star. And the only first round pick that Portland owes in the future comes off the books at the 2023 draft. So you could turn around then and at the start of free agency, you have your full boat of potential future firsts. You've got your shade and sharp lottery pick coming off of a, a strong rookie year. Um, you've got a couple other pieces there in like this year, little or, or Trenton Watford, like you've got some sweetener stuff and then you could always, you know, who knows you expanded and Jeremy Grant goes back or something like that to make the, in a sign and trade to make the numbers work. Like you have, or maybe Brooklyn's interested in Anthony Simons who really helps the money work. There are a lot of scenarios where if Portland's pick conveys to Chicago this year, which it will, if Portland makes the playoffs, They've got the full complement of their picks ahead. Mm -hmm. They've got a superstar who would be a logical fit next to Kevin Durant and who they're very motivated to maximize the window of. Um, they and play in Portland, Oregon, though. What's wrong with that? I, I've never been. It's apparently weird. But are we sure that Kevin Durant... Yeah, and you mentioned that... No, we're not. But I'm saying if you're... If you're going through the teams who might be thinking that way, Portland is not one trade away from being relevant at this deadline. Yeah. They could be a Kevin Durant trade from being relevant in the offseason. And one of the reasons I think big trades like this always make a little bit more sense in the offseason is you get Katie and Dame teamed up. Mm. You have your pick of like the, the cheaper veteran guys that are trying to ring chase and want to play with. 
Dame and KD. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Portland's a, a team that's interesting. Phoenix, I just can't peg down because uh, – they have a the new trading, owner. They're who, trading Chris Paul, and they now they want Fred VanVleet. A new owner who literally took over yesterday, like <laughs> like literally yesterday. We don't know anything about this guy's plans. We know that he was a, a college hooper, uh-huh. um, but we don't know. Did he yeah, have Michigan the dog State. in him? Yeah, yeah. walk on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> all we know about him is that after making sure that the guy who was the uh, Uncle Lester in the organization was gone by the time he took over uh, until there was public pushback, uh, almost added his own Uncle Lester uh, in Isaiah Thomas uh, to just like really start that off with a poor uh, culture yeah, not, situation. Not wise. That we didn't... don't know what he's going to do from a basketball perspective. Mm, I think I... he's going to be very aggressive, but whether that's very aggressive at this trade deadline to make an immediate splash or whether it's very aggressive in the off season when they have the benefit of, you know, money and finding a, a place for Chris Paul and all that stuff. I'm not sure. Uh, Jake Fisher also saying several uh, opposing executives have since labeled Fred Van Vliet as the most likely Raptor to be traded ahead of Thursday's deadline. Uh, this got me thinking because obviously there's, there is, there's a more impetus to trade the guys that are pending free agents in Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. Mm-hmm. If you do not intend to resign them or you don't know that you can compete in a free agent marketplace for either guy. But again, going back to the Tampa tank year and the decision that we thought was coming for Kyle Lowry. And there's other things that play there because despite the fact that he couldn't dictate where he wanted to go, I think the franchise wasn't going to put him in a place that he didn't feel good about. There is also like, and I remember talking about this at the time that when you negotiate and you say one thing and you set your price and people don't match it and you don't acquiesce, I wonder if there's like a long-term benefit to that, that Masai Ujiri has shown, like in recent history, that he will go beyond the trade deadline. And just because you think he has to do something, he doesn't. Now, for many different reasons, the the, the situations are not comparable. And the idea of, of getting somebody who, even if you could, I mean, the Raptors made off well with Precious Achua, compared to the Miami Heat are now trying to offload Kyle Lowry. And that was in a situation where they had no market, right? Right. It was, there were rumblings that Kyle didn't really want to go to Philly because even though that's home, Philly didn't want to give him the next deal, which, you know, maybe looks all right right now. No kidding. Um, Yeah. And there were, so you had next to no market and you were still able to get precious out of that. And yeah, you had to carry around Goran Dragic for a while, but that's just like a, that's the cost of playing in a collective bargaining agreement league yeah. um, and a, a salary cap league. So I think with Fred, you absolutely have the leverage of, okay, not a lot of teams project to have cap space this offseason. If you don't pay us this now, yeah, he could leave in free agency, but we're pretty confident that we could sign and trade and get something back for him later. Well, and, and then if, if you want to sign him then, we have the leverage. You've traded the leverage back to us. Orlando is the big swing one that's there it. where... But, yeah, so but if that you're also talking- requires Fred wanting to go to Orlando and thinking that they're close, which they, they certainly look not too far away lately, and Paolo's awesome, but that's, uh, like, you're only really afraid of that if you are pretty sure Fred wants to go to Orlando. Right, and if you're the Clippers, that doesn't impact you. It's like, then you don't well, get Fred. And the Clippers can't sign and trade for Fred because right. you get hard-capped if you sign and trade for a guy, and the Clippers are $100 bajillion beyond the hard cap. <laughs> yeah, so, it's uh, man, there's a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what-have-yous. As we, we head towards tomorrow's so 3 o'clock. So many what-have-yous. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll talk about some of those what-have-yous uh, with Michael Scotto, NBA reporter for Hoops Hype and USA Today. Next, as the fan drive time continues, Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. You can follow our next guest at Mike A. Scotto. It is Michael Scotto, NBA writer, podcast host, uh, host for Hoops Hype and USA Today. And Michael, thanks for doing this. Um, people can't follow you now, though, but <laughs> because like that's one of the things that is down on Twitter. You can't tweet and you can't follow right now. You hate to see it during this time, um, but you can still text GMs and see what's going on. I mean, Woj had a tweet a little while ago, so I think uh, where there's a will, there's a way, at least I hope. Yeah, uh, fingers crossed, and uh, fingers crossed that uh, all the details are ironed out before 3 o'clock uh, tomorrow afternoon. All right, so things are happening now. Um, I mean, this this three-way deal that could see D'Angelo Russell end up back in L.A. with the Lakers seems to be the thing that is closest to happening. What are you hearing on that, Michael? I mean, it's a little bit dependent on what draft pick compensation Minnesota can get back in the deal right now. Um, ultimately, it seems like more the Lakers and Utah have um, a bit of an agreement here. And I apologize if you hear like some dings in the background. Obviously, that's some text from execs and agents <laughs> and whatnot along the line. So, but yeah. Um, uh, you know, it seems right now it's dependent on what draft pick compensation is going to go back to Minnesota for um, letting go of D'Angelo in these trade talks and also with uh, getting back Mike Conley, who's got money owed next season. I find it very amusing that uh, the one thing holding up this three-team trade is uh, one of the teams isn't in agreement on it. Yeah, uh, I guess it's not that it's close. And, and Michael, you don't need to apologize for your phone going off, your dings going off. Uh, we appreciate you making the time. So uh, we're here in Toronto. We're two hours out from Raptors Spurs. And one of those Spurs, Jakob Pertl, has been a popular name uh, dating back to last year's trade deadline. As of this moment, he is not on the injury report as one of those mystery uh, hold him out illnesses. Uh, but what are you hearing on Pertl and uh, the likelihood that he's not a Spur after tonight? I mean, there's certainly a bunch of teams interested. I put out there was a handful of teams on Hoopsite this morning. Um, three of them, Washington, Boston, Toronto. Uh, there's a couple of others, but I would say that um, those teams have shown uh, interest. Uh, I've got, we'll go with substantial interest. How about that? <laughs> as, as the adjective, um, you know, for Washington uh, to get a guy like him, potentially uh, you're looking at trying to get his bird rights and because they are going to have to keep Porzingis. Uh, Kyle Kuzma in free agency potentially. They got Brad Beal locked up to a, a max contract. They pretty much gave him everything except the uh, ownership stake in the Washington Nationals and the Capitals in that deal. And, uh, you know, for Boston, uh, Jacopo would represent an injury insurance for Rob Williams, who's dealt with some knee injuries over the course of the past few years. Um, and also with the uh, Toronto, I mean, your guys, um, they've had flirtations with Jacopo ever since uh, he left the team, ironically. And I would say that 
I think there's somewhat of a realization that they may have to tinker with things and not just switch everything at six and nine or six to eight across the board. Um, and Jakob would be a true center that they will have for the first time in a while if they're able to acquire him. And for anyone who doesn't know, when Michael mentions bird rights, what that allows you to do in the NBA is um, the NBA operates under a soft cap, so you can exceed the cap in certain scenarios. One of those scenarios is to re-sign your own players who have uh, been with a team or or traded and then stuck with the team long enough to have bird rights. So uh, the Raptors would be interested in acquiring Jakob Pertl, not just for the remainder of this year, but because you can then go over the cap to keep him. Um, Michael, you, in addition to Jakob Pertl, you had mentioned the other day in the fallout of uh, the big Kyrie Irving trade that when the Nets had hit up the Raptors and, and just about every Raptor seems to have hit those conversations at some point, um, Nick Claxton was a guy that the Raptors uh, expressed interest in. I don't think that's surprising. He's a potential defensive player of the year candidate. He leads the league in field goal percentage. Uh, don't imagine that happens, but uh, do you get the sense that you know, beyond just Pirtle and Claxton, the Raptors are interested in addressing that center shortcoming, whether it's for the remainder of this year or, again, a bird rights situation uh, to, to help them with the long-term core? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you follow the tea leaves, I think, uh, you know, Nick Claxton's a guy they looked at last year. They offered a first-round pick just before the deadline, uh, but it didn't go through as, as part of trade talks. And, um, look, Nick Claxton has emerged as a defensive player of the year candidate. I think he's a, a guy that I, I genuinely feel can be an all-star talent down the line. He's gotten stronger. Um, he's gotten a little bit of a Euro step he's added to his game. He can dribble the ball um, on the run. You know, he grew up as a guard and had a huge growth spurt in high school, so that's where he has those ball-handling skills. He can do DHOs and, uh, you know, a great lob threat, certainly. And uh, I I just think for Toronto, no surprise that they are coveting him in talks. I mean, look, ultimately, regarding the Pascal Siakam talks with the Nets, uh, the Nets are trying to go big game hunting if they can to pair a star with Kevin Durant after losing Kyrie Irving. And, you know, Pascal Siakam is one of the big names that could potentially uh, be had. Obviously, it's going to take a boatload to get him. That's why, you know, for Brooklyn, you've got three first-round picks uh, at your disposal. Nick Claxton is a guy that, at minimum, is worth one first-round pick, and I would certainly argue, and so would other executives around the league, given that he signed for next year, um, worth two. So, I I think in that regard, you know, the negative obviously there, whether it's Ben Simmons, whether it's Joe Harris or um, Patty Mills, whatever matching salaries you want to try to use to get there, that's a little bit of the drawback there, but you have to match the salaries. So I understand some Raptors fans may say, well, wait a minute, Ben and, and three picks isn't enough. Correct. That's why Toronto would want Nicholas Claxton in the deal and then they would consider it but for Brooklyn's standpoint that is realistically unless maybe you try to throw in Cam Thomas in there but like how much more can they do other than Nick Claxton who's at this point their second best player without question uh, and a guy that's highly valued around the league and three first round picks for Pascal. I mean, given the Rudy Gobert trade market, you're looking at Pascal. If he were a guy to be moved that could command four first round picks, 
So that's in the ballpark, um, at least from, you know, an, an evaluation standpoint when you look at it objectively. Does Toronto do that? I don't know. But it's an offer that is at least in the ballpark if you include Nick Claxton from Brooklyn that Toronto would have to consider. Yeah, I don't I don't start considering it without Claxton in there, but man, does that change the accounting if Claxton were to be in there. So, um Michael, you were kind of at the forefront of of that side of things post nets which was hey, Brooklyn has has called and gauged the availability of Pascal Siakam. It, it kind of started a, uh, as these things do, not a storm in Toronto, but, you know, a lot of eyeballs on what was happening, say, at practice yesterday and Masai having a conversation with Pascal and people trying to uh, connect dots that, that don't necessarily connect. Um, you just laid out a very compelling case for how Brooklyn could make a potential Siakam framework interesting for Toronto. Um, but has your sense been, since you reported that, that, you know, it would have to take like a gargantuan offer for the Raptors to listen on Siakam. Like, is this a Brooklyn only thing? Have other teams been like, whoa, 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 there's a Siakam component here. Like, could we call on that? Um, like just, just how, how much chatter is there around a Siakam potential Siakam frameworks? Cause to me, it feels like, you know, Brooklyn kicked the tires on it and it's not very likely, but maybe you're hearing differently at this point. I mean, I would say Brooklyn was certainly knocking on the door. Um, they have the, the most incentive out of anybody right now following the, the, the Kyrie Irving trade to get a star um, and giving Kevin Durant's trade request last year. Um, as far as, like, I, you know, I know people throw the phrase like a godfather offer. <laughs> I mean, you know. Do you, do you take that Brando. offensive? Yeah, do you take that offensive as an well, Italian-American? um no i think i think it's funny and i i I get it you know i because having watched the movies i find them interesting but i would say like while i'm not marlon brando i would say that that's certainly uh a substantial offer i don't know i don't i don't think it's one that can't be refused as they say in the movie but uh you know it's certainly one that is would be one of the more substantial um, offers. Now, again, I mean, like Blake, I think you touched on it, you know, Nick is a guy that, and I, and I specifically phrased it this way, he is coveted by Toronto. So that's why I think certainly that's where the conversation really has to begin. And if you look at the story, that's why I put that ahead of the Ben Simmons and the draft pick compensation note in the story, because that's the, like, Obviously, sure, Toronto would love Kevin Durant. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see. But if you guys actually don't mind, I actually got to take this call real quick. Um, All right. Yeah, just we'll catch up just soon. text me if it's something Raptors, you know? <laughs> Thanks, brother. Gotcha. See ya. There's Michael Scotto, uh, NBA writer, podcast host for Hoops Hype and uh, USA Today. So Nick Go- Claxton's really good. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, that That does constitute, you know, something close to a godfather. You, you come to me. On the day of my trade deadline, <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it would be a lot. And for you know, I, I know not everyone watches every Brooklyn Nets game. And Nick Claxton was a, a second round pick and didn't get a, a huge deal last offseason or anything like that. It was kind of the NBA's version of a bridge contract for for a, a second round 
pick who had hit RFA, he has emerged as the league's leading shot blocker. Uh, he's number one in the league in field goal percentage. He shoots over 80% at the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about a guy who has a, a bit of a limited offensive package. Like almost all his shots are at the rim. You'd have to run a little bit more pick and roll. You'd have to look vertically a little bit more. Um, he does create some of that himself with good screening and almost three offensive rebounds a game. But this is a guy who, if you're talking about a role certain center mm-hmm. um and this is the same reason you'd be interested in a Jakob Bertel. it's rim protection it's rim deterrence it's a guy who cleans up everything around the rim and no it doesn't help your spacing via shooting but it can help your spacing via having a guy who sucks the defense in on the roll to the rim um he's also only 23 years old and has one more affordable de- year left on his deal and then you would have again the bird rights on him to uh look he wouldn't be extension eligible but you could certainly re-sign him as a UFA in 2024. Yeah, and he's okay. He's closer to the Scotty Barnes timeline than yes, than, 23. Yeah, he's 23, and he's not yeah closer to 30 like Pascal Siakam is. Like I, I might call him not might. I think he's the best defensive player in the NBA under 25. I mm-hmm. would say, and defense is something that guys show a lot of potential with early on, but usually you don't start impacting winning and, and you know production for at the team level until you're a little further in the league. So yeah, like Mikhail Bridges, uh, OG, some of those guys like Rudy Gobert, obviously some of those guys are, are ahead defensively, but right now for young players in the league, like you're not finding a better defense prospect. I don't think. Yeah. You're, you're worse because you're giving up Pascal Siakam yes. in the deal. And obviously there's like more, there's there's draft equity that's headed towards you as well in this trade. Like if you could just there's plug the and play ability and- to laugh at Ben Simmons for the next two and a half well, years. And, okay. and as, as I have stated to friends, Joe Sai would have to give me $1 million personally. Mm-hmm. If the Raptors <laughs> are going to take back Ben Simmons. Well, okay. Yeah. Ben Simmons is clearly a negative asset at this point, despite the fact that some notable NBA writers have talked about how the Raptors view him as a buy low candidate that may have existed in years previous. Hard to watch what Ben Simmons is putting forth this year and and say that there's anything left to reclaim with the player who was you know a great defender but like had an offensive skill set and that is just totally gone so you'd have his contract um on your books you wouldn't be trying to win necessarily throughout the duration of his tenure as a member of the Toronto Raptors and i suppose you could repackage him in a trade for a superstar when you collect other draft assets. I just, I wonder where this theoretical trade of Pascal Siakam to the Brooklyn Nets with Ben Simmons salary coming back and Nick Claxton as the big trade chip that you receive as the Raptors, along with, I guess the 2029 Suns pick would be the other trade equity that would come your way. Like where does that put you as far as, the next move to get this team back into contention. Yeah, so it'd be the the 2027 76ers pick that they own and then the 2029 Mavs pick that they own and then they or could, sorry, Mavs they could also include uh their own uh as soon as 2028, so soon. Neat. We're talking about guys who wouldn't be making an impact on your NBA roster for like 8 years, 10 years there, but those are big trade chips to turn around with later. Well, even with like a 23-year-old center and mm-hmm. a guy in his second year in the league in Scotty Barnes, like 2029 doesn't like that draft Pick is not impacting their timeline again. Like I, I said this when we were off air earlier, um, the like say a, a 2029 draft pick 
begins to help your team win on a normal developmental timeline. So like Scotty Barnes, a great example. He wins rookie of the year. He's having a, a good sophomore season. The Raptors aren't that good yet. Like he's not a, he's not a win now championship piece yet. He's probably on his way there, but let's say third or fourth year is when the guys really start driving your winning. Well, that 2029 pick is then not helping you to until like 2032, 2033. Messiah has been here for a decade. That is one decade out. So look at the entire Messiah tenure to yeah. date. The re- the near tank, the accidental <laughs> goodness, the <laughs> run it back, run it back, run it back, and then no, we got to go all in for the championship. You win a championship. You do the run it back year. The pandemic happens. You have the Tampa tank. You get Scotty Barnes, and now you're here. That is how far out that pick would be from, like, helping you win. Uh, uh-huh. So... Those like anything past, I'd say 2026, you're probably looking at like even for the the Spurs, like trade chip. Who's the most like a future thinking franchise right now? Is it Houston? Is it San Antonio? Like even for those teams, Houston is just like bad. I get it. But like they'd like to be good at some point. Yeah. Like Oklahoma City has 18 extra picks right now. Oklahoma City, not even close to caring about a 2029 first round pick unprotected i wouldn't hope like at this point when they're like in the playoff mix yeah they're they're out of it the furthest so that's actually a good way to frame it so oklahoma city has 18 additional picks and five pick swaps (laughs) um none of the firsts are any further out than 2027 yeah like they they hit a point at which and yes there is a diminishing return to draft picks overall like yeah they they have too many draft picks to fit guys on the roster and we'll Well, eventually have to consolidate some of those this is some of the 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 reading that i've done on the a potential trade with the Pelicans is that like they have so many picks that it's like well just throw another what's another yeah. pick to you like what do you care yeah it's the video game thing <laughs> of like before the trade engines got sophisticated you could just throw second round picks yeah, right or in baseball games just like throw your whole single a team on there and eventually the total uh value of the package would cross the finish line um no, so it's it's not quite that, but there has been a point where Oklahoma City, and I'm sure if someone gave them a ridiculous haul of unprotected deep future firsts, they would consider it, but they hit a point where, okay, past like 2027, maybe those assets don't really fit with us because Shea's 24 and we got Chet and we're going to have another high pick and we're already starting to be good here. Um, I don't know how high that pick is going to be. Their own pick, yeah, but they've. This is the the benefit of having. Oh, they get the Lakers pick too. Um, or, sorry, no. They they, they, they can swap with the Clippers this year. This year is actually like a low draft year for them. They uh, they only have two extra picks and two pick swaps. Yeah, this year that's it. Only nothing. Um, but yeah, those are those are second round uh, primarily. So, but they have a lot of assets. They will eventually need to consolidate, and and they have. Maybe haven't determined expressly, but yeah, the 2029 picks are um, a little far away. Look how handsome our boy William Lou looks on on Tim and Friends right no, now. It looks great. Um, go, getting back to the Nets because yes. Nick Claxton, sure, Adam, uh, and that that's a, a future asset that lines up nicely with Scotty Barnes. But yeah, you're giving up and Pascal Siakam and and any theoretical trade. What? The other thing to consider with that too is if there's a scenario where you get convinced to trade Pascal Siakam. The the guys like Fred Van Vliet, like like Sia. Well, this is so. I actually I think the more likely, and you know, I just mentioned the Jake Fisher story from a couple days ago about how Fred Van Vliet is viewed by many executives in the NBA as the most likely player to be moved by the Raptors before three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I mean, when we talked earlier before the the Kyrie trade was consummated, that the Raptors might jump in as a third team involved with the Nets and maybe rerouting Spencer Dinwiddie to Toronto and Fred Van Vliet being the player that the Raptors send to 
Brooklyn. And maybe at that point, like, yeah, you're, you're talking about, I don't know if that 2029, again, Mavericks pick is, is being used as the sweetener for the Raptors in that deal. Like that, to me, seems like the more likely trade for the Raptors and the Nets than this massive franchise altering Nick Claxton, Pascal Siakam, Kevin Durant's running mate as two superstars trying to win a championship thing. Does that make sense to you, Blake? Spencer Dinwiddie, as a guy who's a useful player and, and all that, another contract for next season, but you get the the draft capital back and Fred Van Vliet is the guy that's going to Brooklyn. And I think you could take that and expand it because I think, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is not Fred Van Vliet, but he's a guy who can help a, a winning team and his contract for next year is only uh, half guaranteed. He's absolutely a guy you could canvas the league and be like, hey, we're picking up Dinwiddie in this deal. If anyone's interested in him and we'll eat a bad contract or, yeah. or an expiring contract. You reroute him again. So he's kick, traded yeah. twice. Yeah. Kick a pick in or something like that. And, and, you know, then the so then you're talking about a scenario where um, you're getting more than just the surface level trade stuff back. That's the kind of stuff that, like, if people wonder why, why don't you just do a deal today? If you have a deal you like, it's because you're going to look at, you're going to look under every one of those rocks mm -hmm. over the next couple of days. And I'd imagine Brooklyn right now is seeing, you know, at least seeing if they can aim even higher than Fred mm -hmm. in a Spencer Dinwiddie deal. Like, I don't, I don't think that that, I don't think there's a better point guard who's going to be dealt between now and, and the trade deadline, but maybe they're looking at that. Maybe they want to use Spencer Dinwiddie to acquire a wing instead uh, to kind of continue building up the, the three and D wall around Kevin Durant um, from a Raptors perspective. You'd have to like, yeah, I, I think you, you consider that depending on what the protections are on those Getting picks a first-round pick back for an expiring Fred Van Vliet contract. Expiring is like, it's not as cut and dry as expire. Like, we can't use the term the same way in NBA because of the bird rights and sure. stuff like that. Like, like you are paying Spencer Dinwiddie next year or then you're trying to reroute him somewhere. Um, so it's, and like losing the opportunity to re-sign Fred Van Vliet is an opportunity cost there. I, I joked with someone earlier, someone asked me to run the numbers on like, hey, could you get the cap space um, to do A, B, or C? And I was like, yeah, if you let Gary walk, Fred walk, um, Thad Young, you you waive the non-guaranteed portion of his contract, you find a home for Otto Porter Jr., and you have your first-round pick in the mix. And it's like, yeah, you could get enough money in free agency to sign Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's yeah. near the top of the free agent Gonna list. Going to make 30-plus million bucks. Yeah, so... Right. so and, and that's why I don't think there's quite the level of immediacy. Like, I think absolutely, if the right deal comes along, he's available. But the option to turn around and sign and trade him in the offseason, to re-sign him and keep him as a part of this group, I don't think they feel the kind of pressure that some people outside the organization assume they might feel. Well, yeah, this is, again, going back to the Jake Fisher thing, like, there's executives who think he's the most likely guy. To move, and we've worked in cycles here, right? Like, mm -hmm. at, at the outset, it was like, Gary Trent Jr. is gone. Like, I still think Gary Trent Jr. is the most likely to go. Okay, so you disagree, then, with with uh, with Jake's reporting. And I'm not saying that you're, like, thinking no, Jake's a bad not, reporter, No, this is not reporting. Like, I'm not disagreeing with his reporting. I'm, like, he is reporting the opinions of other That's executives. True. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm disagreeing with <laughs> the opinions. executive's opinions. Like, <laughs> like, we're talking about probably abilities it yeah. doesn't mean it's a hundred percent that gary trent jr is going to go but gary trent jr is a free agent we have heard from people like grange that the raptors and gary trent jr are open to extending the relationship but we haven't heard a dollar amount no. which makes it hard to you know put a ton of faith in that and gary trent jr is exactly the kind of guy that if a team 
misses on the type of deal that include multiple picks and prospects, and then they turn around at the deadline, look at the Western Conference standings, everyone around you's done something to get better. Mm-hmm. Hey, a guy who hits a lot of threes at a high level and can create his own bucket and isn't a turd defensively, <laughs> like... And, and I, I joke, but like the playoffs are all about who is the best offensive player that you can play without right. having to take them off the court because of their defense. Yeah. Like Gary passes that level. Yeah. Um, like he's exactly the kind of guy teams circle back to in the final hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, yeah. The, the Pascal Siakam thing feels like it's, it's very, very much a remote possibility, but Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., could be on the move in uh, the remaining hours before 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. When we come back, Bo Bichette has a contract for the next three years. We'll talk to the man who broke that story, Ben Nicholson-Smith, at the At The Letters podcast next. The Fan Drive Time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.